Well, it's good to see you here this morning. Thank you for making the choice to, to be here. And I know that is a choice on uh, Sundays with a lot of other things pulling at your attention. Well, we're in a, a series, and it's really, as I was thinking about the title of the series, it's an invitation uh, by title, The uh, Life Uncommon, what God's invited us to. And we're going to be working through a text in Titus. We've just, as a uh, series been working through the entire book, and so if you want to start turning with me to Titus 2, we're just in four verses there, 2, 7 through 10 uh, this morning. But in light of our, our topic this morning, I was thinking about a, a truth about the reality of the way we're wired up as people, is we're wired up, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really like the idea of being watched when we don't know that someone is watching us, Right? I, uh, I have my office is just in this building, just kitty corner to the worship center, and it has on the, the mirrors, or it has on the uh, windows, has those reflective windows where uh, you can see uh, when you're walking up to it, you see yourself in it. It's actually kind of fun to have an office with those because you're sitting inside and watching everybody like check their teeth and like fix their hair, and uh, maybe a little bit embarrassing if somebody knew <laughs> me watching them. But, uh, but on the flip side, I discovered the alternate part of that, which is embarrassing, is... Um, I ha- we play basketball on Tuesday nights here at the church, and uh, for months and months, I just found that as a, a perfect little uh, secluded dressing room to change and get basketball uh, wear on. Then, uh, then there was one uh, evening that I was walking by, and I noticed my wife was in there with a group of ladies that were praying through some of these requests and uh, that you fill out in the career journal, and I looked, and I was like, man, at night, you can see just directly through that. There's no reflection at all. So then my wheels start turning, I'm like... How many months has all these Awana families seen Pastor Creepy getting ready for basketball? And, uh, and, so, and so I was thinking about that, like the idea that, that, that we're not really big fans of somebody watching, but on the, the, the flip side of, of that, uh, Casey's like really concerned right now, um, scarred children. Um, but uh, on the flip side of that, if we're honest with our, ourselves, we, uh, we, if we're honest, we, we actually like when we do know that somebody is watching, not in a weird way, but when we do know when somebody's watching us, like our kids are, con- my kids are constantly, Dad, watch me do this, watch me do that. We actually like it when some people are watching, when we know that they're watching. When we know that they're watching, I was thinking of a, a story of my friend in, in college, a bigger guy, we were at the gym shooting some hoops, and there's a, a track that went around the, the uh, fitness center, and there's a young lady, her name was Karen, that he was very interested in. She showed up, she's running laps, we're shooting hoops. I've never seen my friend so impressive at basketball, literally, like, like he was literally had never touched the rim or anything. He's literally dunking the ball, true story, and uh, it, with it, he was an athlete, but anyway, it was fun to, fun to watch how your performance changes when you know that you're being watched, when you know that you're being watched, and you're like, where is he going with this? The idea of this morning's topic is a simple truth that I think is a secret that we should all be aware of is that we have a watching world around us. We have a watching world around us. They're watching us, not just loosely or casually, uh, but maybe more so like this, uh, this picture here under a microscope. They're watching the things that we do, the way that we respond, to see if there's consistency be- between the message that we state and the life that we live. 
This morning, specifically in our text, we're going to be looking more so at work than anything. If you think about it, work is kind of like a a zoo where you're kind of looking through the glass and you can see somebody in their natural habitat, how they respond, how they interact, how how they deal with stress, how they and really what we're pointing to in the text this morning in Titus is that there is a watching world and it matters how we live and how we act. There's a lot at stake here. We either have the potential to authenticate the gospel message that we proclaim or to disqualify it by our actions. You see, there's, it's, it's a big deal how we interact, how we live under that, microscope, under that microscope matters. The truth is we're on a divine assignment, even in the workplace where God's places, whether it's school, under a coach, whatever authority we're under, we're under scrutiny, we're under a watch. Your pulpit might look more like a desk than maybe standing on a stage. It might look a little bit more like that. I was thinking I saw this quote. I wasn't, didn't catch who was the one that said it first, but I like this idea that your job is not meaningless unless you take Christ out of it. Your job is not meaningless unless you take Christ out of it. You see, when you think of your work and you start to see it through the perspective of authenticating Jesus Christ, of proclaiming him by our actions, it can change everything radically in the way we see our days, the things that maybe seemed like drudgery before all of a sudden have purpose and meaning to it. Let me pray for us now before we dive into this few verses. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this text and the practicality of it, how you speak to things that are relevant in our lives. Most of us can point to someone that we're under authority under, whether it's work, school, coach, whatever it may be. God, I just pray that you'd uh, reveal yourself to us in this, this word, that you challenge us where we need to be challenged and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So this idea of being watched, take a look in verse 7 of chapter 2 in the book of Titus, says this, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I thought that was interesting. This is a specific word to Titus himself. Remember, this is Paul writing to a younger pastor, Titus, and it's a specific word. He says, show yourself, show yourself. In other words, don't just teach this, but actually live this, actually live this out. Don't confront them just with spiritual words, but a spiritual life that validates your words. It's, the, the truth is, is that the most compelling counsel for, for us, if we're, if we're giving them best advice, if they're looking at your life and seeing like, man, there's no consistency there, it falls on deaf ears. It's not heard. And so he's challenging him right out of the gates here. He's saying, show yourself in all respects, all respects. I was thinking about this. The question that many of us might ask is, why is the world watching? Why is the world watching? Why are they so interested in what Christ followers are doing? Why is it, why is it so intriguing? Why are, we, why are we under a microscope? Why do we need to follow this where you're, covering, where you're uh, in all respects being a model of good works? Why, why is that? You see, what I believe, and I'm sure there's a number of factors involved in the question why, but I think the biggest reason as to why is because anyone that's proclaiming the degree of hope that the gospel presents 
is going to need to, like, that, that needs some validation. People are checking, like, is that really for real? Could there be a, a God that loved us so much, a, a Savior through Jesus Christ? Could that be possible? Because the degree of hope calls for a life uncommon. It calls to a, a life different because, you see, if you really have clung to that hope, things change. The way you live, the way you interact, it needs to be consistent with that. And so the hope calls people to pay even closer attention. They're not just watching from a distance. They're watching closely. So that's why he gives some very different, very specific things in the text for us to do. So we're being watched, so you need to make sure that you, verse uh, 9, I'm sorry, verse 7 there, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. First thing pointing out there, a model of good works. I was looking up the word model, or maybe your translation says an example, example of good works. The word used there in the Greek is tupos, which means an impression left by a pen, sword, or hammer. An impression, something that's left behind. The idea of like with a pen, you leave an impression from what you write. A hammer, a, a sword, like the, the mark that's left after you're, after you're gone. I was giving my kids a hard time about it. We've got a, a kitchen table, and I don't know if your kids have done over the years homework on the kitchen table. And you look back after they've written all these things out, and you see on a little bit of a, with the right light and a little bit of an angle, you're like, oh, I see she's learning how to spell whatever word, you know, because she's left, or they've left this indent on the, the table. I was thinking about that. What a, what a powerful picture of what we're invited to leave on those around us, to have an impact, to have an imprint that's left in their mind, something that just sticks that they're like, man, there's, there's something different because of this person's good works. There's something that sets them apart. I've uh, joked before in sermons here about my uh, weird uh, love for washing cars. I don't know why it is. It's something that's therapeutic to me. It's something at the end of a long day, I'm like, okay, I'll just give the car a wash, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's, it's strange. I don't know if anybody else has this issue. We can seek therapy together. Um, can, I know. Can I come over? So that actually leads to my story. Is um, My neighbor has a really nice Audi SUV, and I always see as a single dad, we're actually uh, connected as a townhome that we live in. And, uh, and I, I just always notice this car, and it, let's be honest, he doesn't wash it very often, if ever. So this one day, I was like, you know what? I was like, uh, I was just finishing washing mine. I was like, oh, I'll be a blessing my hose reaches. I'll wash his car too. So, uh, so I washed his car, detailed it up, armor all the tires, the whole nine yards. It was getting a little bit later in the evening, and I, I kind of went to bed just to like, oh, okay, I wonder what's going to happen. I didn't think he'd see it. The next day, I think he started texting Adrian. His name's Al, and he's, he's just like, did your husband wash my car? And, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, I think he was just trying to be nice, nothing too weird. And, uh, and it, I thought it was funny, his response. He's like, nice neighbors smile and say hello when they walk inside. They don't wash each other's cars. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it's, it's funny because that's kind of, it was kind of a turning point in our friendship. And uh, like uh, probably three out of four conversations that we have, he brings up uh, the car wash incident, you know, the, the, the car wash bandit. And, uh, and, and so, but I was thinking about that. I was like, what a, a little example. And this isn't to pat my, trust me, not to pat myself on the back, but to point out the fact that the things that we do to those around us, the acts of kindness can leave an imprint that strangely can be like just stuck there. It's like seared in somebody's mind 
the acts of kindness that we display. It's a cool thing. It's kind of think, uh, thinking of the potential for influencing the world around us. So that's what he starts with Titus saying, listen, he's like, he says, uh, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, an example, leaving an imprint. In your te- and then he goes on, he says, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Now, for some of you, I mean, for that, he's specifically talking about uh, to a young pastor and his teaching. But for all of us, we can say, listen, there needs to be a consistency, again, with what we say and what we do. The word integrity, we've already talked about that. Consistency between words and actions. The word dignified, I looked that up. I like this definition from one commentator. It's the definition said this. It isn't absent of a sense of humor, laughter, and enjoyment. That's good news, right? It's about dignified. A lot of people, that's their definition of dignified. Like, can't ever laugh. They're proper and prim. Like, no, that doesn't cut it. But this idea here is not absent of those things, but rather the ability to distinguish between what is important and what is trivial. Is that a cool d- definition of uh, dignified? The ability to distinguish between what is important and what is trivial. That's one of the things that we can do in the, our teaching and what we're presenting, bringing life into conversations. Or sound, he says sound, uh, in, in the text he says sound speech, idea of sound speech of something that's healthy and whole, something that's life-giving. As we interact with people, would that be the description of us? They say like, man, when I'm just around him, the things that he says or the things that she says, the things she brings up are just life-giving and encouraging. These are the ways that we live a life uncommon, that we're set apart to a watching World. So those are a, spec- a few specific things, but I like it that when it, you see at the end of verse 8 there, what it results in, the impact of this, is what it says. It says, in sound speech that cannot be, conde- that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. But that was interesting. A lot of times we forget this idea of an opponent, like people opposing us. But the truth is, is when that message, as we already talked about, that when we have that message of hope attached to us, and that message of hope that's attached to us requires somebody to bend a knee and submit to a God Almighty as their new authority, there's going to be some opponents to that idea. Does that make sense? This idea of why, why are people opposing us? Why would they oppose our, our view? Because you know what? The invitation to the world to submit to someone else as their authority is a pretty big deal. And so there's opposition. And in this text, he's saying, saying, listen, make sure that you're living, in other words, make sure you're living above reproach so that somebody can't point to an area that says, like, there's this inconsistency. This isn't true. You've said this, but you're living this. I like MacArthur gave this description. He says, when an opponent makes a charge against a believer... The public testimony of that believer's life should be so commonly known that the accuser is embarrassed by their criticism. You hear that? This idea that the it's so co- the, the believer's testimony that like man they're they're living it they're not just talking it. it's so commonly known by the world around them that it just falls on deaf ears they're like that's not true about him. That's, that's definitely not. If you think about Jesus and the accusations, they're trying to rally people to come up with anything negative about him. What did they have to do? They had to turn to people making up things, making up stories, because they couldn't find any fault. Similarly, as we follow Christ, wouldn't that be awesome to be said of us? 
Man, I, I've looked high and low. I've tried to find anything, uh, anything wrong with his life and the consistency there, and I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. So that's the invitation is the, the potential to silence people that are, are critiquing or criticizing the message that we hold. This is especially important. We're going to see here in verse 9, especially important at work. Take a look at verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pause there. The word bondservant in the Roman Empire at that time, a bond slave was really what they depended on for most of their labor. Most of the, that would have been like the middle class, lower class of, of how things were accomplished in that culture. It was a central part of their society. And even many times that role of servant was something that was chosen not to say that there weren't cases of abuse and where it was people were mistreated, but Paul, as he's talking here, he's not offering. Paul's offering no judgment about the fairness or morality of slavery. He's not endorsing it, but he's simply recognizing that it exists, and he deals with the attitudes that Christian slaves have towards their masters. So he's not he's not endorsing it. He's not saying like, "Hey, I put my stamp of a, approval on this," but he's pointing to the fact that we regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of what authority structure we find ourselves under, we're still responsible for how we respond to that authority. Whether it's your teachers at school, your coaches, whether it's your boss, well, you, you fill in the blank what authority you're under. And sometimes somebody that's like, I don't really have a boss, I own my own company or I'm doing this. And you're like, man, well, then guess who you answer to directly? The man upstairs. So that's a little bit even a, a bigger deal. And so all of us have an authority structure that we're under, and he's pointing to the fact of how that person is supposed to respond to authority. Because our response to authority, we're going to see here in the text, it matters. It makes a difference. As I was thinking about this, I think it helps in this in our understanding of authority over us to understand first who our boss is. Understand first who our boss is, because I think that makes the, some of these next words of challenge a little bit more palatable. Ephesians 6, 5, we'll put it on the screen, you don't have to turn there, uh, points to who our boss is. Take a look in Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants, same group of people he's talking to, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of who? Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. I think that's a wonderful reality is to understand of who the boss, who's reigning over all of this is. I think it'd be helpful maybe in some of our interactions with our bosses, if we could just, if they were, had a little bit of a see-throughness to them, that you could see through them and straight to Jesus Christ being the one that you're working for. Wouldn't that make it a little bit easier? Well, that's what, that's what, that's what Scripture teaches. That's what it, it teaches, is that He's the one that we're working for. That doesn't mean that we don't have to, you can't use the like, hey, listen, you're not my boss, Jesus is. Not, that's, not the, that's not where you throw, pull out that card. But uh, my, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Like you can't pull, you can't pull out that trump card uh, at work. But what he's saying is like with that perspective changes the way we see those in authority over us. 
You see, whoever is in authority over you is there because God placed them in that position. He placed them in that position of authority. Remember Jesus' conversation with Pilate, and, and Pilate was trying to remind Jesus, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm over you, I'm above you. And Jesus says, no, wait a second. Let's make sure you remember, Pilate, who puts a person in authority. It's not man. Any authority that comes is from heaven. It's from God. He's the one that's placed those that are in authority and authority over us. So that's a, an important thing to understand in the context of what he's challenging us to do here. And you might ask yourself, like, well, well what, about, what, about the, what about the bad boss? What about the, uh, the, 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 the jerk of a guy that you're, that's over or responsible for uh, your answer, you're answering to? I, th- I thought it was interesting. 1 Peter 2.18 says this, Servants, be subject to your masters, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That's pretty intense, right? Think about it. Like Again, going back to that big idea, like who's the, who's the one that you're actually answering to, who you're giving an account to. So he gives some expectations here in this list, starting in verse 9, a number of things for what somebody does when they're showing up at work. First thing that he says, what he says, bond servants are to, sub, to be submissive, to their own masters in everything. I mean, I'm supposed to obey everything that my boss says? I don't know. What does the text say? Obey, uh, obeying them or submissive to their own masters in everything. This idea of submission, that's a, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you've got a lousy boss. I remember one of the jobs I had in... Um, College, I worked for the street department for a summer. It was uh, one of those bo- jobs that remind you of why you stay in school. And, uh, and so I was working there for the, uh, the street department. And I remember there, I was all excited to start the summer. I was working hard outside, digging and doing whatever. And uh, I remember my boss pulling me aside and he's like, Hey, Scott, I need you to just slow it down a little bit. We're trying to have a, a sustainable pace here. We're not trying to get too much accomplished. Like all summer, that's what his, his, his motto was. Let's not set the bar too high here. Like he, I was like, really? Is, is that a good boss? Are you affirming every stereotype about, uh, about uh, government employees here? Like, well, no, sorry for bringing that up. But, uh, but I, I, was like, I was like, man, just a, a brutal boss. And I'm sure each one of us, if we chatted here, could bring your own boss story of like, man, but I have this guy, I have this guy. The reminder of who the real boss is, who it is that we're answering to. This idea of submitting, though, is not an easy thing. Submit, by definition, is a voluntary attitude of giving in, voluntarily allowing them to, to, to take their will over yours. I was thinking about a lot of people are like, well, I'm fine with submitting as long as I agree with them. But if you think about it, submit, actually the word submit, it, it wouldn't even be necessary if you agreed with somebody. The whole idea of submit assumes that there's something that you differ on and there's the need for you to submit. And so that's the tough thing, but he's calling this out in the believer's life. And the thing that the truth and the reality of this is that the potential for influence when we are submitting, when we are choosing to do what's asked of us at work, the potential for representing Christ is an awesome thing. But here, another person might ask, say, like, listen, when my boss, what do I do when my boss is asking me to do something that's unethical, immoral, something that I know goes against? Well, that, that's a whole other topic, and that's where you have to look at the whole scope of Scripture. You look at Acts 
uh, 4, when the authorities were asking Peter and John to stop preaching the, proclaiming the name of Christ, they had to remind them. They did pull out the Jesus trump card and said, hey, you, you are my earthly master, but I answer to the, man, the, the, the big boss, the, the capital B boss. And so there are instances, but that's not one that you need to be pulling out consistently only with respect when there is that situation where you're saying, listen, this is something that goes against what I believe is right. I can't do that in this role. I'm, I apologize. You know what I mean? There's, there's a way to do that and a way not to do that respectfully. So submitting to authority, the potential, though, is fantastic. The, if you think about it, there's nothing more powerful than an unbelieving boss validating the character of a Christ follower. So when you picture somebody saying, listen, that's probably the, one, of the be- that's one of the best employees we've ever had. And talk about validating someone's message. I was thinking of our, our newer office manager here at the church. Her name's Stephanie, if you haven't had a chance to meet her. She worked for a long time. She worked for a long time for, at one of those women's workout world things called Curves. I don't know if you've heard of those before. I think, I think right now there's 2,900 of them in the United States. I think there used to be even more. But at the, at the time, I remember talking to her. She's working there part-time and working at the uh, church in Chicago part-time. And she was saying, she was kind of excited. She was celebrating. She's like, you know what? It was kind of neat. I, I, I won a manager of the year in Curves. I was like, oh, in this, in this region? She's like, no, in the United States. I'm like, that's awesome. I was like, that's so, so cool to think about. I was like, and she's known for being pretty vocal about Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about the power of the testimony when you're one being vocal and, and, and talking about Christ in the workplace, then when you validate that by doing a fantastic job, that's a powerful combination. That's a powerful combination that God can use to validate the message that you're proclaiming. Moving on with the list of things that he's asking, he's saying to submit. He describes in verse 9 also saying to be well-pleasing. This idea of being committed to excellence at work, being above reproach with things. This, uh, it, I thought it was interesting that that same words were used, well-pleasing. Can you think of a place in Scripture that those words were used about someone? Well-pleasing? How about when Jesus was being baptized? This is my son with whom I am well-pleased. That's the same picture. Same picture of Jesus, the words to describe him from God the Father describing Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be in the workplace, well-pleasing. So there's maybe some questions that we need to ask ourselves to be able to say, am I well-pleasing? I just jotted down a few that that came to to mind for me just to kind of wrestle through this. Do I work with a joyful attitude? Somebody see me and am I known for joy? One of the fruits of the Spirit. Is that one of the things that marks me? Do I typically give 10 reasons why something can't happen? Is that me? Am I known as that guy uh, that's always opposing whatever's happening? Do I give energy or suck it out of a room? Am I a clock checker? Constantly, okay, is my time up? Am I done yet? Am I done yet? Am I a clock checker? Do I do what is asked of me? When your boss brings something to you, do you do it? And even probably a greater question, do I only do what is asked of me? Do I only do what is asked of me? Do I just do the bare minimum? Some questions that we need to ask ourselves as to am I well-pleasing? Am I constantly obsessed with what is fair? Am I constantly obsessed with, wait, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not, is, is that an obsession of mine? These are some questions to ask ourselves whether or not we're well-pleasing. I'm not saying that there's not valid things that need to appropriately be brought up in the workplace. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying in the overall testimony, am I known for being well-pleasing? 
The next one, verse 9, that he describes is not argumentative. Not argumentative. A lot of us can say like, you know, in the workplace, I'm not directly argumentative. We have a little bit more of a, a subtle approach, if we're honest. It's more comes out a lot of times in the workplace in our attitude, where you, there's, the, there's the meeting after the meeting, and you guys know what I'm talking about this, the meeting afterwards where you're like, yeah, that was a dumb idea. I don't really want to do that. Like, I don't, blah, 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 blah. And uh, there's, there's all this negativity that you're bringing. That's all being a part of argumentative. It's just we've learned a little bit better how to mask it over the years. I thought it was interesting. I was reading in the story of a, a kid that was being disciplined by his mom, and his mom said, you know what, you're going to take a, a time out here. You're going to sit here for a few minutes and think about your behavior. And the kid's response, and I think this tells it all for a lot of us in the workplace, I may be sitting on the inside, but I'm standing on the outside. That's a lot of times our mentality in the workplace. We might be doing the job, might be fulfilling the duties, but like, oh, but that attitude, I'm going to make sure they know I'm not real happy about this. That's argumentative. How are we doing on that? Verse 10, next one that he describes, he says, not pilfering. It's like, when do you use that word, pilfering? It's looking that up, the, 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 the Greek word for that, uh, nofizo, which means to put aside for oneself. Put aside for oneself. It's not talking about large-scale larceny, but it's talking about little things. You see, at that time, a, a bondservant or a slave would have had access to really most, if not all, of the possessions of the, the, their owner, and, and so would have had the ability to just kind of subtly sneak up, put something in your pocket, do this. And a lot of us, uh, maybe that's not the, the issue, or maybe it is. Maybe those office supplies and pens are like adding up in your uh, purse there. I don't know. But, uh, but, but here's the, the picture I was thinking a little bit maybe more relevant to us today is, is how about slowly sneaking time? You know, a little bit longer lunch, coming in a little bit later than was expected. How, how about the way that we use the time where we're like, all right, we'll just use a little bit of time surfing the, the web here and just a, a, asking yourself some questions like, am I, am I pilfering? Am I, am I putting aside stuff for myself, whether it's time or not? Somebody was talking this week about a, a boss button. I didn't even know about this. It's a shortcut that you can hit on your, uh, on your computer that minimizes whatever sports center thing you're watching so you can go directly back to the graph you're supposed to be working on. This, uh, this idea there, this uh, of pilfering, pilfering. The last one he points to in verse 10 is showing all good faith. This idea of being faithful, somebody that's known for being trustworthy and reliable. All of these things have the ability to shape the influence that you have in your workplace. Take a look at the, the result in this. When we're doing these things, when we're, when we're, we're doing these things well, in, in the text there, it says this, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that the result in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Your actions Adorn the doctrine. I love that picture, that, that phrase there, the picture of adorn. The, the word adorn is taken from the word cosmio, where we get the word cosmetics with. The idea of, of making something that maybe doesn't look, look so great and making it look beautiful. You look at a, a star magazine, do you ever see some of the uh, celebrities without their makeup on and you're like, whoo? And, and then you see a later picture of them on a red carpet and you're like, wow, that's a transformation. And, and really, you think it's the, the idea of beautifying, to think of our actions and the way we act at work has the potential 
to adorn, to make something beautiful, to make it look attractive to the world around us. That's what he's saying is, is happening. Our doctrine, the things we believe, the things that we state, we have the potential to make them beautiful to the world around us. It's an awesome truth. It's an awesome reality that the potential is great. By our submissiveness, by our excellence of work, our respectful attitude, honesty, and loyalty, we make our message look good. Jesus was an awesome example of this. He didn't just call us to this type of, of work. He, he actually modeled it. In fact, the, the term that's used for Jesus in Philippians 2, 7, taking the form of a servant, was actually the exact same term used here as describing servant. So Jesus didn't invite us or call us to do something that he didn't do himself. He's like, listen, I'm not just, I'm not just standing here on earth with a megaphone saying, turn and repent and, and here's the way to live. I'm coming and I'm living it out with you. I'm going to become, I'm going to make myself God of the universe, make myself a servant, a servant all the way up to dying for us on a cross. Are you kidding me? So these, these things that he's describing as an example, did Jesus practice submission? Yes, he talks about it consistently through Scripture, submitting to the Father's will, not his will. Was Jesus well-pleasing? Yes, described that multiple times in the New Testament. Did he steal or use people for himself? No, you can't even point to an example of that. Was Jesus faithful and trustworthy? Absolutely. So all of these things that we're called to and invited to, Jesus laid that example. And so really, in summary, when you're talking about being watched, when you're thinking about being watched by the world around us, you're just trying to live and be Jesus in the workplace. My question for us in conclusion is, when somebody's watching you, when they're watching you under the magnifying glass, what do they see? What do they see? Do they, do they see Christ in you? Do they see Christ in you? It's a powerful potential. But I recognize, too, this is only possible through the work of the, the Holy Spirit. This stuff is hard. This isn't something that I just need to, we consistently go back to this. Is it, is it digging a little bit harder and try a little bit more? It's all about walking close to the vine, staying connected, allowing him to work in and through us. Let me pray as we conclude. God, I thank you for this text and just the practicality of it in terms of today's authorities that are in place over us that we're called to a life of submitting, a life of, of doing things that are, are pleasing and good works and going above and beyond what's expected, all for the simple goal of adorning or making beautiful the message that we proclaim. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you modeled this for us. You made the life that we're called to look beautiful. And I pray that you'd empower us, give us the strength, even in the, the most difficult of work situations, God, to represent you, to be your hands and feet, to be your words, to be your voice. God, use us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. What a fitting song to end with, the idea of following him even into the workplace. He's, he's there. He's not waiting in the car listening to Air One. He's active and involved at your job. He wants you to figure out where he's at work and join him in it. Pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.